welcome on in. Enzwell Boxing, Ireland's boxing podcast. I'm Al Rich. Click on the link in the attached show notes. You'll find all our previous episodes. If you want to get in touch, suggestions, ideas, you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can email us at endswellpod at pearlhandmail.com. And you're welcome on in indeed. First episode of September. Kildare's latest lockdown stint is due to lift. The kids around the country due back to school. And uh, the parents, well, parents can breathe a slow, deep sigh of relief. But for how long? What we do know is that it's my absolute privilege and pleasure to be in your ears for the duration of this episode, which will be just below the 60 minute mark. And here's what we've got coming. We'll have a brief look around the boxing landscape of Ireland and afar with the news, the views, the information, the fights, the results and any little bit of trivia we can find along the way. I'm delighted to have Monaghan lightweight Stephen McKenna back to chat to me on the podcast about his upcoming UK TV debut on Saturday night against Chris Pilkington. Today's featured guest on the podcast is none other than The Rock, Stephen Ormond. The Dublin lightweight lit up the scene for years and years as he boxed his way into people's hearts with displays of courage, determination, heart, strength and plenty of skills and ability too and a pro career that almost didn't start but when it did, it lit up arenas, lit up screens and lit up the scene. I still pull people up on it this day about their own, like, I was talking to people about their own careers or I've got to this girl on my age, catch up with me, he says this and I said, don't listen to anybody. And any other bits of news and information we can find, we'll throw it all in on top. I'm trying to avoid uh, looking back too often on fights until we do this review episode, but one I want to have a mention of is Pursuing Taylor 2. The initial sportsmanship and honesty uh, appears to have dissipated, and in its place, delusion seems to have descended. A delusion that wasn't there straight after the fight. Uh, there was an acceptance when she was um, talking a little bit like this. Feel after a fight like that, do you accept the result? Yes, yes, yes. This time I respect, I respect the result. For me, this time the, the weight was a, a little bit too much. After March, I weighed 57 kilo. But then, yeah, the, the weight the was lightweight, so I eat, eat, eat. But I feel like I got not the power enough this time for to hurt her a little bit. I, I want it, I take a lot of weight plus, but I cannot uh, hurt her this time. And if you don't hurt her, yeah, it's technical, she's good. Eh? And as I said, over the weekend, there appears to be a development of some sort of delusion or secondary or tertiary, maybe concussions. Um, perhaps somebody somewhere has got into her ear and suggested there may be a possibility or an interest in a third loss for her to Katie Taylor but who knows who knows where it's come from but she had this to say then on the Pound for Pound podcast recently do you think the fight went? Uh, good good just uh, there is one thing that I know I can do better and this is uh, just a little bit disappointment of this because uh, I broke my nose the second round I was a little bit uh, more careful in uh, the fun of the third round because normally I wanted to work with uh, the pressure and then with more punches. And now, because I was a little bit more scary with the nose of careful, I just answered with one or with two punches. And we had trained to answer with three or four or with more 
punches. And this I don't have done with my nose. That's the, the only thing I know. Yeah, that I, I, if I did this better, it was better for me also. Uh, I know you can, uh, you can move from one punch, you can uh, move from the second punch, but the third and the fourth punch then can be okay. And this I did not enough, the, the, the third and the fourth punch, but otherwise okay. Now, Delphine, a lot of people, as like I already said, felt that you won the first fight. And there was a lot of people on social media and a lot of people even that, that were that were there, that the people that we were working working with and stuff, still felt that you had done enough to at least get a draw, if not win that second fight. Now, I come to see you in the dressing rooms afterwards. You was very upset at the time, annoyed with yourself, but you explained the situation with your nose, etc. I mean, you've had a chance to look back at the fight now. What did you think? Did you still think you lost or did you think you'd done enough to win? Uh, we have looked now. Ale, yesterday when we came at home, we have looked a, a few times the fight, and today also we have already looked a few times the fight, and we have point uh, pointed uh, with every round who has won this round or this round, and if we do look to the fight, uh, surely we, Ale, for us we don't lost the fight. A draw was possible. Of if, if we are uh, looking. We see we, we won the fight with one two runs before Katie. One one trainer say one run, and the other trainer say two runs before. That of course was taken from the pound for pound podcast with a uh, Spencer Oliver and Jake Wood, aka Jack Branning, or Max Branning. A podcast I kind of stopped listening to quite some time ago when I kind of realised the pattern that was going on Sky Sports or behind quite a lot of podcasts that were jumping up out of nowhere. And uh, it was fueling narratives and it was help feeding into a narrative then that they would probably push on with, with all their might from, from their side under their main banner. Now Sky Sports and their main banner has taken very, very serious criticism. Probably the only downside, and it is a downside, of Fight Camp was the poor commentating, the poor punditry and the one-sided bias that was shown in almost, if not all, fights. Starting with Adam Smith and working down. Um... I, I can't just put my finger on it. The, the, if they can't at this point of their time, having seen enough fights, having been in enough fights for most of the pundits, the likes of Macklin, the likes of Bellew, the likes of Frotch, the likes of these lads, they've seen it all. They should know what they're looking at. But it's almost a case of not letting the dust settle. It's a case of, they, they, for some reason, they just want to keep drumming up this Katie Taylor pursuing. Now, I get the marketing side of boxing, I do, but this is done. This has been done, and it was done after the first one, until Serrano didn't. We've, we know all that. But what, what I cannot for the life of me understand is what, why is it that Katie Taylor and Delphine Pursun fight is the one that is being held up by some as controversial? Why have they seemed to forget only two weeks before that there was real controversy? There was a real doubtful decision. There was a real dubious draw given between Terry Harper and Tasha Jonas. But there's nobody talking about that. There's nobody talking about a rematch. There's nobody talking about poor Natasha Jonas. Everybody wants to talk about poor Delphine Persoon. Why? I don't know. I don't know. How long will it be before the spotlight is actually turned back around a little bit and looking a little bit inside instead of projecting all the time? Maybe, maybe I'm just being petty. Maybe I'm just being argumentative. Or maybe I'm making a valid point. I think I am. Let's see how long it takes for a, a discussion to be had around Natasha Jonas, 
Terry Harper rematch and let's see how long it takes to actually get from discussing it to making it. Another recent fight that had pulses racing, certainly from an Australian standpoint, was Jeff Horn against Tim Zhu. The old dog putting his everything on the line for the young pup. Now that young pup happened to carry a surname that is synonymous with boxing, Hall of Fame and the Fantastic Knights. Of course he is the son of Costa Zhu. It had the pulses racing in Australia for many reasons, I guess. For the, for those connections, uh, for the position and the place that Jeff Horn holds and has, has won and the affections of the Australian sporting people. They love their sports stars in Australia. When they eventually get behind them, there is no better crowd. Well, maybe the Irish. <laughs> Jeff Horn brought everything he had, his pedigree, he had his class, he had all the, all the previous fights, everything that went with it, and the story, of course, of the Olympics. S- not lasting up the gloves till 20, going to the Olympics and four years later and all that. Throw in then the a opponent in the other sign, in the other corner, of course, who was the son of a legend. And uh, we had the, all the ingredients for a very tasty matchup. Promotion started, it was initially slated for the 22nd of April. And it was all very cordial, it was all very friendly, it was all very, I won't say lovey-dovey, but it was kind of a little bit, makes me uncomfortable when they're nice to each other too much, you know. But then, of course, lockdown kicked in. This crazy new normal took over. And it meant that it went back and it went back and it went back. And it eventually went back to last Wednesday. And with a state border shutdown in different places in Australia, at times I was wondering, was it going to go ahead? But it did. Things were very much less cordial. In fact, by the time that it came to walk to the ring, the distractions, the objections, and if I'm really being honest, the silly shit, the majority of it was coming from those around Jeff Horn. Not what you'd expect. Jeff kept his head down, kept himself quiet. Little signs, he was late getting to the weigh-in, he was opted down to post pictures afterwards of having fun and stuff like that. Didn't look himself, didn't sound himself the whole way up to it either. Now I've spoken to his S&C coach, I've spoken to quite a few people around who's the, who informed me in the way up to the fight that everything was the way it should be. No reason to doubt them, why would I? And uh, Tim Zhu, on the other hand, in the build-up to that fight, he was calm, he was composed, he was just so very much displaying a demeanour beyond his years once the bell went all that composure all that everything went and it was a, just a, a lightning start a start which seemed to burn tyre gas Jeff Horn very very quickly Zoo knocked him down a couple of times in the third again in the fourth Horn did everything he did everything he could and everything he knew to try and slow the fight down to get to gasp that air in but it wasn't going to happen the beatdown and the hurt continued until he sat his ass on the stool at the end of the eighth round. Jeff was done. The whole world could see he was done. And it's a, it's always, always a sorry sight for any real boxing lover to see a fighter just at that point of his career. And there's a look in the eye. He was asked and all the, we know the rest. We know how it went. All that was left in, in Jeff Horn was his dignity, his bravery and his pride, which will be there until he takes his last breath. The decision was for his team to do the right thing make that decision and send him home safely to his young family which they did eventually not going to get into the weeds on it not going to get it there's plenty of others doing that no doubt a, a, a fellow who was on here with me not so long ago who who was fanboying all the way up to the first bell and, and has been very very quiet since um, all for opinions all for them and all for favouring a fighter sometimes if you have to and you want to that, that's, it's impossible not to but uh, there are levels 
there are levels and um, standards I would say but however it was all back to the decency everything went all returned to these all decency was restored after the final bell after the fight was over and uh, lovely words from Tim Zhu he was he went on record to say it was an honour to share the ring with Jeff all the respect to you and your wonderful family to your team you're all wonderful people and I can say hand on heart Australian sports fanatics be on notice you've got a special fella there you've got a real touch of class and you've got a potential superstar in the making how will he react when there's a bigger better opponent in front of him who knows or when he can't get to that when the fighters when the opponent isn't there to hit who knows or like his dad when the jab is taken away from him how will he react time will tell what is for sure is there was a master class performance and a colossal step up for Tim Zoo last Wednesday in Townsville so seeing as we're talking touch of class we're talking potential superstar there's no better time to jump across to a conversation that I had with Monaghan lightweight sensation Stevie McKenna now with all that's been going on the last few weeks I genuinely didn't realise his fight had crept around so fast and I'd been chatting with Rachel his um, media manager the last couple of days and she said it to me look anytime I want to chat with him I said yeah definitely and, and just again senior moment just never dawned on me never dawned but I needn't have worried I reached out to Rach last night as I lay on the couch watching rubbish TV and it was done and dusted within within the length of time it takes to send two messages so respect and credit and big love to you Rachel thanks very much really 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 appreciate it and I'm going to pick this up here with me chatting to Stevie about his beloved Liverpool winning the Premier League after all these years and the job that Jurgen Klopp has done yeah, he's, uh, he's did an unbelievable job since he's come in. Like yeah, he's built some teams, so it'll be good to see how we how we do now next year. We'll see, hopefully, we get get a few finals. Thiago, maybe like to see some uh, one or two more players come in. It's hard to believe. I was just looking at your. I was just checking the record. There, it's almost this time last year since you boxed. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it. It's the uh, last thought. So I'm uh, really looking forward to getting back into the ring. I'm, I'm really good. Shape and so. For some reason, I had it in my head that you were out just before the lockdown, but that didn't. It didn't happen, Stevie. Since we talked to you last, there was a, there was loads of news, and and Rachel and the gang do a super job at keeping you guys in the papers and in the news over here. Teamed up with Freddie Roach, working at Wild Card. I mean, what was that like? How did that go? Yeah, it's a dream come true working with Freddie Roach. Uh, Freddie really likes us, so he does. He, he likes our style of fighting. And recently, out in the uh, Robert Station, we were doing a lot of traveling there, so. Uh, we were travelling up to two hours a day to get to Robert's gym, so we it made more sense to more closer to us. Freddie's gym's only fifteen twenty minutes away from us, and I, I believe he loves the Irish wit and the Irish crack as well. There's a good friend of mine, Desi, who's who's got a couple of jerseys signed from him and sent them over to him, and he spent a bit of time with him. So I believe he 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 loves having the having the Irish around, and he had great things to say about you lads. Yeah, he loves the Irish, so he does. He say he always talks about it. Lockdown hit and pretty much hit overnight. You guys were lucky enough you got home before everything shut down, didn't you? Yeah, we, we just got home as it started getting really bad uh, here. So we seen how bad it was back home and uh, when we were in America. And it was about two weeks behind. So we we decided to pack our bags once the gym started closing over there. And we had nowhere to train, only out in the park. So... Uh, it made more sense to us to come home and have the gym here at the back of the house. We have 
everything we need here at home. Anyone that wouldn't be familiar or wouldn't be used to keeping up with the lads, your social media and, and across the, the across the different platforms, it was just as if nothing nothing changed. You have that fantastic facility there. You were you were training away, working hard. So it, it really hasn't affected you in any way, shape or form, has it? No, it, it hasn't affected us at all. It's like we've been in a training camp the whole time. This is what it's like when we're in training camp mode. It's like a lockdown, so it is. So uh, we've been training very hard, both me and Aaron. We've, we've got uh, better and stronger, so it's uh, helped us as well. So and you're still talking after all, after all that time locked in, locked down together. You're still okay. You're still getting on all right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were a big part of Tenny's prep, preparation and his camp as he, as he got ready for the Gavin Gwynn fight, where of course he went and won in in, in amazing style and. And is that where the, the the connection came with yourself and and Tony, uh, Stevie? Uh, yeah, we've been training with Tony uh, the last few years. Ever since we were young, we we're always training up in Tony's gym. So we're we've always been getting sparring there. So uh, Tony's a great coach as well. We've seen you training and, and preparing with with Tony. We saw you work with Tony, and then we had Kevin Kevin O'Burns. Shout out to Kev as well. His his podcast came out last week and Chrissy was on there giving you guys and people to forget that as well even back when you were that bit younger we're helping all these people win titles isn't it? it's it's getting closer to the time where you start winning your own as well isn't it yeah that's it uh, but uh, every spar we get for, I'm always learning so I've been in the ring with all different sort of fighters uh, all the world's best as well so it's it's only bringing me on. It's built my experience, make me into a better fighter. Getting used to all these different styles, it's, it's really helping me. To get such exposure at such a early in the career, and to have the team that you have—I mean, including your dad as well—it's it's it's very special. But you've teamed up with Mick Hennessy for the weekend. You're going to make a UK TV debut. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's it's, it's class. We're fighting back here now, uh, closer to home. So Mick Hennessy is uh, giving me this opportunity to fight live on channel 5 so it'll be a good one it, it's great exposure for me to bang back here and build my fan base even more so well hopefully we'll have, we'll see Aaron through the ropes at some point over this side as well shortly will we yeah he's waiting patiently for a fight yet, so we'll know more soon I can't not mention the little spat that went on there a few weeks ago that I absolutely I, I love and respect most boxers but there's certain fellas that just I can't <laughs> I just cannot stomach mate you absolutely nailed him to the floor <laughs> tell us a little bit about that and, and how that came about yeah I did an interview with uh, Sky Sports and they asked me my opinion on the fight between Campbell and Garcia I gave my honest opinion and what I thought would happen and uh, you can see Garcia wasn't happy and uh, he, he started putting stuff up on Twitter and then deleting it and <laughs> then after and then after he started messaging me, you know, he, he didn't like to hear the truth, and he, he wasn't happy. So, and you you were uh, sparred, so you've done some rounds with him, wouldn't you? In sparring, and you would have done some work. With yeah, him. I, I sparred him. Yeah, I sparred him when I was in LA, and, and uh, we actually wanted to get more sparring, but then he, he wouldn't come back. So, how how do you think it'd go with himself and Luke Campbell? How would you see that one playing out? Uh, yeah, I think Luke Campbell. Uh, beats him. Yeah, I Luke think so. Campbell has a, a lot of experience behind him. He's an Olympic gold medalist and he's really doing really well in the pros. So I think it's it's uh, it's a dangerous fight for Garcia. Clonus link there, of course, indirectly with the McGuigans all the way back. Don't realise how how deep these things run. Uh, yeah, yeah. As, as fighters get to this point of the week, their their weights on point, everything's ready. They're going to have a job holding you back. What can we expect to see from the Hitman on, on Saturday night? Expect an exciting show. The Hitman's going to put on a 
great performance. Channel 5, Saturday night, Stevie McKenna takes his professional record to 5-0 against Chris Kirkland. Make sure you support him, get behind him, reach out across social media, whatever the case. Let him know everybody's behind him. And with this episode dropping on Tuesday lunchtime-ish, I'm conscious that most, if not all, kids and small folk will be back in school this morning after um, a long, long time. It's, it's, it's last March in most places where the school's shut. And this morning there was a lot of intrepidation, there was a lot of tears, there was a lot of anguish. The kids were kind of a bit put out too as well going back. So, look, it's going to be testing times. And, and it got me reflecting and thinking and musing, I guess, as, as, I, as I sat preparing just to, to finish off this episode and preparing for next week's episode, which incidentally will be a cracker as well. But we'll get to that later. I said recently from a personal point of view that when COVID lockdown and all that goes with it lifts and passes and becomes a memory we'll all be able to reflect on it individually and we'll be able to remember how those around us were of course everybody has struggled at different times I genuinely believe that the virus has affected and impacted people as much if not more in a psychological capacity than it ever has in a physical from what I've seen from my own point of view I've used it as a chance to learn, to improve, to get shit done. To be able to reflect and then see it as a productive time. But some haven't. Some haven't. I've looked around at times, scratched my head. I've been shocked. Conversation with a neighbour, friend of mine there, a shout out to Paul, a top fella. When you see and you hear how grown adults have resorted to wasting their time hanging around on roads, involving themselves in... in Involving themselves in everybody and anybody's business, yet ignoring the shit that's going on at their own doorstep. Why Why would that be? What entitles that sort? Who knows? Who knows? Where I am, it's usually very, very quiet. There's been one or two shit stars, but they're well flagged. Everyone knows who they are and what they're about. None of us are perfect neighbours. <laughs> None of us are. We all have our moments. We all have our... But that's life. That's humans. That's real world. You know, if, you, if, you're, if you're not like that and there's... Everybody's living in a little bubble dream world. Well, something wrong there too. More than one uh, mask, I would say. And maybe not a COVID mask. But during a conversation, as I said recently, with a mate, we we talked and we looked at how how kids are acting. Now listen, kids are going to act as kids act. And that's that's what they're expected to do. And that's fine. Sometimes, the majority of the time, they're just having fun. They're not doing any harm. But there are some times where you're going to see some that are acting just feral. They're talking shit, they're doing shit, they're acting in a way that, let's face it, if, if I did it in my day, <laughs> I wouldn't have sat down for, for any time soon. But looking around and seeing seeing what's happening, you see a lot of stuff. Like the kids were, were trying to occupy themselves. By the time they went back to school, the majority of them were reluctantly, or probably wouldn't admit it, but they were ready for it. You know what I mean? The structure is, is, is needed for a little while, for however long this lasts. But I've seen them playing simple things, doing simple things like building bases, playing football, playing rugby, playing American football, playing all the things they can, wrestling, roughhousing and doing what they do. And that's where adults, I guess, are, are, are obliged to step up and step in and, and, and do their job. Simple other little things like, depending on what part of the country you live in, there's a game called Knickknack. It's pure devilment for mostly yeah it's pure devilment there's no real harm in it you can be called thunder and lightning it can be knock a dolly knick knack whatever the case basically you knock at the door and you run and when the person answers you hide and you now where I am most are cool 
most are still at an age that they can remember what it's like to be young they can remember they are still young they can remember what it's like to have fun but there are a little pocket a sad tragic little pocket of misfortunates who huddle around uh, tweaky curtains and they hide in Facebook groups or WhatsApp groups and they they throw shade on kids basically who are really just trying to occupy themselves without doing any harm now on the flip side of that anybody approaches them about their their little angel or their little darlings they're they're given gates straight away get from the door nobody wants to know nobody wants to believe that their little Mary or their little Johnny would do any such thing my point of view anyone comes to my door I listen I find out what's been going on I get to the bottom of it I find the truth and I deal with it whatever way it needs be I certainly don't run anybody without listening to what they've got to say nor would I it's ignorant to wrap it up I guess looking at people and looking at me and looking at how I have been and how I've used the time lockdown has been an absolute war in the mind and in the head I've had a very clear I'd say a clear I would say around 80-20 split 80% of the time it's been positive it's been productive it's been present slow pace use the time to listen a little bit more music read research stuff that I needed for interviews line up some really really good new guests and that's coming as well get to that one And uh, just plan ahead a little bit better than I had been able to do. Look at the other sides of the podcast that I haven't had time to do. And I've learned to play a few more songs as well. 20% of the time it's been anxious. A lot of anxiety in that time. Concerned. Edgy. Confused at times. At times sometimes you look at it and say, what day is today? What time is it? Where are we at? What are we... Um, Poor quality communication for me is what's really caused a lot of the issues throughout um, that lockdown period. And that is an adult failing. If adults cannot find or will not find a way to communicate for the betterment of their kids and their lives, well then that is a shame on them. It's an indictment on them. And to round this out, there's no visible end in sight for this COVID. Schools are back. Winter temperatures are coming. Idiotic behaviour continues. And I believe our figures are going to spike and spike again and again and again. I think, I feel, I believe I'm going to be mentally stronger. I think now I'm, I'm, I'm in a position... Haven't been able to reflect on it a little bit. I'm focused. I'm single-minded. And I know where I stand. I know what I don't know. But most importantly, it's highlighted and shown me how some people really, really are. I've seen ridiculous masks all over the place. In cars, in jeeps, as they drive on their own. No one else in the car with them. I've seen people walking up the street with a mask on them. But then, some people might say, metaphorically speaking, certain individuals have worn masks all their lives. And COVID has caused that particular metaphoric mask to slip, which has allowed to see the real person behind the mask. And that, in that alone, has been priceless. Thankfully, the majority around me have never worn masks, don't need masks. They are who they are, and that's all pretty good of me. And the ones who have uh, found themselves suddenly wearing an extra mask on top of the mask that they were already wearing they've not been able to find themselves and they've struggled, they've panicked they've been really at odds with themselves which then manifests and becomes worse and then you've seen it spew over so for those people, I feel sorry I wish them luck I just uh, hope that everybody does the best they can do and even on a bad day, it happens, it's good that's, that's the way it's going to be but it's how you deal with it, it's how you come back from it and it's how you treat those around you that's really going to tell a lot about you as a person when all this crazy chaos, madness, uncertainty is over. 
So be strong, be yourself. And remember, everybody's in the same boat. Everyone's going to have a struggle at some point in time. Their good day might be when you're having a bad day. Your bad, Their bad day might be when you're having a good one. So try and gauge it, try and read it, try and learn as best you can. And look, if all else fails and you have a bad day and you throw the toys out of the pram, the easiest thing in the world is put the hand up and say, listen, sorry about that, man. I was wrong. Going to have a look, little bit of a look around the boxing world. Uh, in Irish eyes, Davy Oliver Joyce's fight is back on with Spaniard Inuit Baluta. It's on a BT Live Josh Taylor undercard in the bubble. And uh, we'll have Davy on really soon. I've been in touch with him again. He was away for a couple of days when the fight looked to have fallen through. But we had previously arranged anyway. So look forward to that one as well. Dennis Hogan has been on recently as well. Chatting to him only the other night. Sunday night, I think Saturday night. He's He's been in camp for the last few weeks. His body is back. His mind is back. Everything now is where it needs to be. A, a, the next opponent all but locked in. I know who it is. And I can't just say it right now. It is a name that you're going to recognise. It's a big name. And it's a big name that's going to be his path to ultimate glory. It'll be his first fight back with, of course, the pocket rocket, my man Wayne McCulloch. And it's just so much to look forward to. It's it's in his own hands now. It's back at his own weight. And he'll be on to tell me about it. I knew about it really, really soon. MTK Golden Contract Finals are announced, of course. September 30th, your call. The featherweight final, Jazza Dickens versus Ryan Walsh. And funnily enough, it'll be exactly nine years to the date at the same venue where his brother Liam beat burst onto the scene by beating Paul Appleby, who incidentally was a an opponent you'll hear mentioned in Steo's interview. Uh, had a very, very controversial result over him early on in his time with Packy Collins. Anyways, on that same bill, super lightweight final, of course we have Tyrone McKenna against OHD, which promises to bring fireworks of every sort. In other news, Kildare light welterweight Caitlin Phelan was announced very strange recently announced all of a sudden with a month's notice to face what they were billing as a world title fight. Uh, she was a step in for Ukrainian star Jessica Salado uh, for what was reported to be an eight round WBF and WIBA world title fight. Now almost as sudden as that fight was announced it's been cancelled, pulled for the opponent being brought to hospital or whatever the case may be but they can't show us off who knows hopefully all her preparations and all her hard work hasn't been in vain and hopefully 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 we'll get some clarity and some action soon and uh, hopefully there won't be too many more of those cancellations because we've let's face it we've seen we've seen a few too many in certain areas haven't we we broaden the vision and look into world news then Luke Campbell and Ryan Garcia have agreed they're waiting on a date and a venue but uh, Shane McGuigan believes that will be stateside and it will be in the coming months. So watch out for that one. We'll keep you posted. Josh Taylor confirmed to face his mandatory challenger, Epignon Kounsong, on the 16-0 tied challenger. Really, really tough opponent. It'll be on September 26th in the BT Sports Studios. We'll come to that in a second as well. Jorge, Jose Ramirez had a very controversial majority decision win over Victor Postal at the weekend. I didn't see that one yet. I will watch it over the next couple of days or so. It was, of course, for his WBC and WBO light welterweight titles. It finished scoring. The scoring on it was 113, 115-113, 116-112, 114-114 apiece. And uh, not long after that, I believe the next day, yesterday, Monday, the WBO announced that Jose Ramirez now mandated to face his mandatory, who has been a mandatory for some time, Jack Catterall. So it's great news for him and Jamie Moore and all the camp there. He's waited patiently for some time. So Ramirez now has 120 days to fight, not just to negotiate, but to fight. So whether he does or not remains to be seen.
and we'll round it out with fights that have been announced over the last while hot on the heels of their entertaining and, and top quality studio fights Frank Warren Queensbury Promotions and BT Sport have announced a tasty lineup of fights which are going to run on three separate cards September 12th September 26th and October 10th and it's a significant step up it's a statement of intent and the cards are as follows on September 12th you're going to see Nathan Gorman versus Richard Latley Mark Heffron against Denzel Bentley and Newman on the Warren stable is Ikan Usman against Cedric Pinu. I hope I pronounced them right. Top of the bill that night is my man Dex Bellman again. A few weeks after his fight with Lyndon Arthur is in with Anthony Yard. What a fight that is. What a fight that is. And we'll cover that as we get closer to the time too. 26th of September. Charlie Edwards makes his bow with Frank Warren against Kyle Williams. On that card also you'll have Willie Hutchinson, George Davey, Ethan James... Davy Oliver Joyce, of course, against Inet Baluta, who incidentally beat, well, you might remember, TJ Dohoney in Dubai in a bit of an upset win there a couple of weeks ago, months back now. So that'll be one for Davy to, to get his teeth into. And then top of that, Bill, what a fight this is. Josh Taylor against Apignon Consong. All the belts, all the marbles, and the right to unify after that, whether it's against who it's against, we don't know. Could be Ramirez, could be Cadrell, we don't know. But it's a cracking fight, and Josh Taylor is going to be have to be on his top of his game, as he always is. October 10th then, Anto, Anto Kakachi against Leon Woodstock, defending his, of course, Commonwealth title. JJ Metcalf against Jack Flatley. Dennis McCann will be back on, the, on that bill. And top of this one, Liam Williams defends his British title against Andrew Robinson. Now, massive credit to Williams, who could, could be forgiven for sitting back as they negotiate terms for a world title fight. But no, no, he's as honest, he's as real... And he's as true a champion as you're going to find. And he is on a real run. So that will be a real good fight. It'll be a real good series of cards. And just give one special reminder and a shout out to my man. The main man. The hammer himself. Big Poddy McCrory. He's in action this Wednesday night on MTK's final show of their current series. He's a tough challenge against the hard-hitting Mickey Ellison who's in a run of form himself. A win as he told us last week. Puts him back up into the top 15 of the world rankings. And from there, it's all in his own hands. So, go get him, Paddy. When I sat down to prepare for today's interview, I realised I had spoken to The Rock a couple of times with a view to initially appearing on the podcast last June. Now, when I look at it in hindsight, it wasn't the best timing at all. It, it transpired to be Steo's last fight, a career which had highs, a career which had lows, and a career which exhilarated fans every step of the way. He always had a swell of support. He was always honest. He fought the way he lived. He's honest, he's true, and he's as real as they come. Hopefully most of the supporters, if not all of them, will listen to this. They'll remember those great nights, and they'll recall the highs and the lows. I recorded the interview just before I started the Fight Size series, so it's about six, I suppose, say it's about, it's about a month ago. Now on the day we spoke, Steo was, uh, at the beginning he was in the back garden, so the signal wasn't great. In the middle I think he was in the front garden, the signal wasn't the May West. And then finally, for the latter part, he went back into the house and you'll hear crystal clear sound. But the, whilst the quality of the background isn't the May West, at times the quality of what the man is saying and the quality of the man himself is impeccable. It was a little bit eerie for myself at times, to be honest with you. I wanted, I debated whether to ask the questions about especially the ones around the Terry Flanagan fight because let's face it it wasn't a but it, it wasn't the easiest question in the world to ask but I needn't have worried because the man as I said he's honest he's real he's true he's Stephen the Rock Army 
How are you? Good. How how's things? Things are good. Things are good, Stephen. Um, I, I mentioned to Niall Kennedy recently that I'd been looking forward to to uh, catching up with you for a while, and uh, Spike has been on as well. So we're, we're lining you fellas up. There, there's a good corner you there out in that, and you like to keep your heads down and keep yourselves quiet. <laughs> That's it. Well, Spike doesn't like to keep quiet. Spike likes to talk. <laughs> well, you know, Ray Milet said the same. He said he's the noisiest fella in the gym, but he, he doesn't let on that way, does he? No, no, he's a messer, but he's good. He's good. He's a good fella. It's good crack. As I said to you there a few minutes ago off air, um, looking back over it last night, I couldn't believe how, how far back it goes and how long ago it, was, it seems to have started. Does it seem like that? Yeah, like you know, it's, it, it does seem long to me. <laughs> I was happy it's over, to be honest with you. But, uh, it, was, it was long. Since, since I started boxing, since seven years of age, it's been long. You know, I haven't stopped doing it. I'm still doing it now. <laughs> We're not taking a punch anymore, so it's a long career, yeah. You're on, you're on the other side of the pads now. That's it. You grew up in a Dublin, Steve. That's safe to say it was very different. In, in Ireland, it's very different. Um, but it's also safe to say that boxing was pretty much your destiny. It was always going to be there. Uh, how early in the, the life of the young rock did it did it start off? Yeah, like uh, I remember I was living in the inner city, and uh, I think I was, I was just seven years of age. So just my uh, parents so, yeah, want to go boxing. Want to want to join? I want to see what it's like. And then I got the first egg, I got spared, I got battered, and I was, I was just hooked. I loved it. So that was a, that's how it all kicked off me. Deco Garrity told me there last two weeks ago, he said that uh, people used to have to get nervous before fights, and he said, are you joking me? He says, every day there was a fight. He says, it was what we did. It was on the way to school or on the way home or on the way to the flats or whatever. It was second nature to them. Was, was it much similar to Sam growing up in those days? Yeah, well, that's what it was. always fighting. But, like, it comes back to boxing probably, like, you're more nervous fighting in a ring, boxing ring, than you would actually in a fight in the street. Because you're trying to get someone else who's, uh, who's, try, who's trying to, to box, you know, so you never get rid of those nerves. You never. You do with something wrong with you. There's something wrong, yeah, yeah. But as again, looking at it, your dad and your uncles, they were all steeped in Irish boxing, winning titles, winning championships, coaching. Um, did that did that help you as you came through, or did it bring a little bit of pressure, or did, did, did you really pay much attention to it? No, well, yeah, I kind of. Uh, I kind of, that's what I call it turned into obviously the family like we, I mean in mother's side too like was uh, Dwight McCormick was, our, was his uncle our uncle you know so it's not both sides so it was always going to be a boxing thing with me and uh, hearing the stories on both sides and then uh, I just uh, with my uncle Greg he was doing really got me looked at me in the boxing growing up when I got me to the amateurs and then I got, got stuck in there you know and the pedigree, so you were surrounded by it. It was, it was the pedigree was on all sides, and it was something that I suppose, as a young fella, listen, listen to the stories and looking at the pictures and all yeah. the old, all the old trophies. Yeah, you know, about boxing as well. Boxing's always got me out of trouble. When I got into trouble, I always put me back out. So I, I give it that, you know. But you ended up with five Irish titles. That's true, yeah. It doesn't seem that long ago, but it was a, Ireland was different in many ways. So, if we went on holidays or we travelled anywhere, or we went down the country, we went to Courtown or Tremor or we went across the Galway or we went somewhere, but you got to see the world with a particular, a very special bunch of fellas on an Irish team. <laughs> there, there, there was some rare ones in there. Do you, will, we, will we go through a few? And I've talked to most of them, if not all of them, that we're going to talk about. So they're, they're all absolutely top-class fellas, top-class boxers, but they knew how to have the crack as well, didn't they? Oh, we had some crazy times away. <laughs> of course, there was oh, Ken, Ken, good, Kennedy yeah. Egan, Andy Lee... The big Timsey they were all with you as well and the Highlands they were all yeah. part of the same team weren't they some bunch of characters we had out there at that stage you try not to let stuff phase you because you're, it's part of the training it's part of the whole build up to, to being a top level fighter but when you're travelling around you're, you're, you, 
you're doing all the making weight in between but how, how good was it to be able to get out and to see places that, that, that only I suppose we would have been seeing a bit on TV or, or reading about yeah it's a great experience to get around and see the world especially like in those days in a lot of countries you know and that's the only through the boxing that happened to me you know it wouldn't have happened any other way so it was always grateful that way you know Paulie Highland told me a story was it yourself and himself were in France or something was that and you were making weight is that right uh, uh, I was always a problem making weight. You had a Mars bar or something, or you were out. Was it? Was that you? Maybe I'm mixing them up. Was... Yeah, oh yeah. I, I made the weight for a. I couldn't make the weight for a, for a championship for a game. You know, to make to make the weight for going back. So I made the weight for going back, and I started going to get an ice cream. And they caught me up no having the ice cream. So they, so they banned me then. But I wasn't making weight. It was just, it was just a proof that I could make the weight going back. But I made the weight going back. Uh, I was just crazy times. You were damned if you did, and you were damned if you didn't. At the time, I suppose that in the process of setting up the high performance unit and everything was getting ironed out, and it was getting organised and getting putting together what what's out there now today, which is which is a world class facility. But it was uh, you fellas were, if, for want of a better work, you were almost the guinea pigs, weren't you? Oh uh, yeah, we were the test uh, test one together. Was the old, no, we were the force to start off, but it was a good thing to do. But you're going to see how it goes for us, you know. Paving the way, I guess, for the for the fellas and the girls that are all out there today. In in as I said, what is a, a just a world class facility. Uh, but you turned over in 2008. Um, there was little or nothing happening here. It was a particular, it was a, a strange time, I suppose, to go. But um, you got a few fights and you trained under the man himself, one one of the main men in Irish boxing, if not the top, um, Phil Sutcliffe. How, how was that? Yeah, Phil, I knew, I knew Phil from the amateurs. He's a great coach and uh, he's a tough man as well in the boxing sense. So it was good. So, you know, it was a lot of great coaching all those different different styles, different stuff. It was good to learn off Phil as well, you know. It was all the lads were around the same time, Willie Casey. Phil was with Willie at the time as well, wasn't he? Yeah, grew up together as well. Even with the kids, all that, the sons and stuff, you know, so family. And things been quiet enough, and they were very quiet, I suppose, this side and in the UK. Boxing wasn't as uh, sexy as it is now, as they want to call it. But um, you, you ended up being a free agent. And, and how did you end up in America? How did that come about? Well, what happened to me was... Uh, I went out when I was about 23 I was going with Frank Gordon so the plan was to go over there but I went over to train over there for some Birmingham to a couple of coaches to learn and what happened was I was about eye so I got my eyes lasers over there All right. and then and I, was, I was contracted to, to get a fight you say eight weeks later but I couldn't give it up I didn't give enough time and I just kept an effect I said I think I'm done here so I was left I packed it in for two years, I went crazy off the rails, drinking and partying. And then uh, just the opportunity came. I jumped in the ring one day. I was always going back training. And one day I jumped in the ring and I said, Fred, news are actually okay. I said, I'm going to go pro now. And that's how I started back off again. Then I met him with Phil and stuff and he was getting there. So it almost didn't happen at all? Like you took it after signing pro yeah. then? You, Jesus, didn't you? That was... That was and, then, um, and then and it felt boxing. That's the same about boxing. Boxing always got me. When I was in trouble, it always put me back out, you know? So I'll give it that, we'll credit for that, you know. So it was always getting, it was always there for me, so I was grateful that way. So you went down the road of, of, of um, you, you sampled all the years you met, you missed out, against, I guess, between being, uh, being top class amateur and everything else, and you made up for it in a couple of years and, and let the eyes. Two years of going crazy. <laughs> and let the eyes settle down, and then and then you you, and you then settled into the pro career. Yeah, last year just jumped on my back man up there, you know. Your style, as it turned out to be, I suppose more so at the end, it was it would have been ideal for US, US audiences. Was did you plan that, or was that just a style that you had always come along with? Yeah, it was always my style. I used to like to put pressure on people, but I always used to try and 
make them throw and anticipate shots because going forward I like to counter them at the same time but put pressure on people there's always me going to be style so we know we gel with the, the American audience yeah yeah absolutely and even and, and I mean if you're around today Jesus the money they're throwing around the place they would absolutely adore you they'd be, they'd be what, I think when they call, when you went over there first were they calling you the demon or something were they yeah yeah. I got so many different ends <laughs> I was there the long where everybody called me well now if you like me yeah, it was good now kicked off well that was a big move, Steve, for for for, a, for an Irish fella because us Irish lads, we we talk a lot and we we bite the chest a lot. And I remember moving to Australia myself and back. It's it's a big move. It must have been tough for you going across there and 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 route, pulling up all the routes you had and and settling into something brand new. Yeah, well, you know, I had a, just had a baby there when the girl. We just about, she was eight months old, of course. And uh, we took the step. I went out me on my own force and stayed there for a bit, and then uh, she followed me over. So it was a big move to hold off. It was, was worth it. Experience-wise, it was worth it. Tough. So you were literally fighting for everything. You were fighting for putting yeah. food on the table. An old school. You know, that's it's, a, that's it's an old... A hard, it's a hard game to make money out of boxing. Yeah. People think uh, all these new pros don't pro think it's just, it's all this and that. But it's not. It's, it's a lot of hard things in the background. A lot of sacrifices when you're doing it the way that you did it as well, for sure. Big, big one, big one. You did eight fights in the first 14 months. I mean, I love those fellas that get into it and they just use the amateur system, amateur yeah. attitude almost, like you're fighting every week if you want. The McKenna's are the same up there in Monaghan. And you now that's in the fitness industry, it's, yeah, it can that's... stay as busy as much as possible. Stay as busy. Like, one stage, week when I came back from America, and I was going back to Frank Gordon, like, it was, I, was, you know, I was in the gym for like 11 months. I remember the longest 11 months, and he kept me out of the ring. Like, it, was, it wasn't my, it wasn't doing me. Just, like, I couldn't get a fight. I, was, you know, I knew I had to get busy, so till I went to MPK. And then when I went to MPK, then at the end of the year, I would have liked to go down early in my career because I wouldn't have been They got me busy very quick. I think Carl Frampton hit the nail on the head recently with, with MTK. He said up till that up till the arrival of MTK, he said all the Irish boxers over here were been, were playing second fiddle. We were the away corner to even when they were our fighters. But he said, yeah. all of a sudden, MTK have come along, and now we're the A side. We are our fighters that's are the ones in the in the home corners. That's exactly what happened. To me. It was always the, the B for going on with the three Frank Gordon first, and then I got MTK and then maybe the A for maybe I was playing on equal left. And that's all you want when you have the talent that you oh. have and you have the hunger and the app the work rate. That's all you want is that fair level level playing ground. One hundred percent. But you you came back from America, Stephen. Was it an issue trying to find where to go and who to settle down with? Because your style, the American style, it wouldn't be one you'd meet every day of the week. It wouldn't be trainers training it every day of the week. I think it's fair to say you found your um you found your match, didn't you? Well, for Pascal Collins, like, when I went there, I wanted to find someone like who had that American kind of style. So Pascal was his chest right away, and just why what he was teaching was what he's been learning in America. So it just came hand in hand. He has his hands full out there, doesn't he? Between yourself, Spike, Mylet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your first fight with Pascal, was that Paul Appleby? Uh, I think it was actually. I had a few smaller fights, I think, but that was the first fight. All stuck at me about that one, Steve, is the decision was beyond questionable. It was, it was, I'm not even going to go into that one. It was like anyone that didn't see it go look at it, it's ridiculous. It's, yeah. it's, it was a. Uh, <sighs> What what really stuck me and really made me take note about, and even thinking about it now, was your attitude to it. It was there was some footage of it afterwards, and you were heartbroken, you were disappointed, and everything else. But it was the attitude. It was like gritting the teeth, as you did so many times throughout that career. It was like, fuck this, it's not getting me. It's not, and you refused to make an issue of it. Was that? Yeah, you know, it's funny boxing. You know, what I mean? it's at the end of the world, it happens, it happens. That's why I, I always thought of it. Even though I put everything into it, what can you do? It happens all the time with the fighters. 
and then that's going to be at the end of the world. That's what I always thought. And I still think that way. You're working with young fighters now all the time, and, and you're saying, I mean, this thing that kind of grew turned into a monster under Floyd Mayweather. The oh, it didn't seem that big a deal to you. No, 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 no. Where would you? Once, once we all went, that was it then. Who cares? Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Any man that gets like that with the first, you know, to me either way. And you go back and then you always give him a little shot, you know. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not over. And you get beaten, you know. So, not like the UK. That's what the UK have to put a pressure on a lot of the players. Which I you went on seven on the bounce after that. You picked up WBO titles. You, you were dripping in titles at that stage, including an unreal win over Derry Matthews in Liverpool. What was that night like? That was that was some that card. Was- that was great, Kirk. We made before that one day. My first title shot, I spoke to fight, I spoke to fight Scott Harrison back uh, years ago, and uh, they used me as a beat for Frank Gordon was the usual. And uh, I said, ready. I got a five weeks notice, but I was always in the gym. Yeah, I'd be ready for that. And then, uh, when the fight came about two days before the fight, he went missing from a drink. <laughs> I fought with a fake as well. That's how close you were to the Harrison fight? Yeah, he, he was three days before the fight, he went, he went missing. Don't believe anyway, so we just we just bought a fake as well. And like I said, I didn't get handed to me, I had to, I had to get it. I'd be ready for it, so he could have just given me a five weeks notice when he would have been ready anyway, two days. And the benefit there again of being ready on the spot, jumping in and being fit to go all the time. It was it's it was it was a constant story throughout the career. But that fight, let me take you back to that one with Derry Matthews in Liverpool. I mean they're yeah. they're, they're I've been in the Echo Arena for a few fights. It's 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 beyond special. They're they're the closest thing to Irish fans you're gonna get is the Scousers. Ah, uh, brilliant. Yeah, well, before the fight, when I was walking out with you, I had a, a sports apologist called Alan Hardy. And we went through the whole fight, like, you never know what's going to happen. So when I was walking out, they were packing, spitting on me, getting down and saying, shit me. And then as the fight went, they walked out, they're singing songs. We, we changed the music, I think it was the Rocky Road, we changed a bit of the because for a bit of a Liverpool song. And I'm not sure where I was, going, but it was, and I, I walked to the fans, and they started like, going to jail, and getting the light to me. And then, as the fight went on there, he just turned the crowd around. So it was just, it was a marvel. And Derry and yourself, you went on, everything was alright afterwards, he's a, he's a top fella. Yeah, we, yeah, we just, uh, as I said to him, I just, don't be a fight, don't get family safe, don't even get over it. That's why being told to grow over, it's only a boxing match, so yeah. that's the way it was, you know, it's yeah. all good then. They, a lot of lads used to get wrapped up in that and, and, and try to carry it on then afterwards but I think as, as I think as we all get older we realise the exact same thing as much as we love it and as much as we love watching you and as much as we love it it's the same being at fights myself I'd go to them and, and this thing of booing the away fighter I, I've never ever been able to do it it's like I can't I just yeah, like, I just can't do it you know not, not saying that I'm going to be perfect and I'm going to stand there and wish it but no I'd, I'd give them give them their dues and give them what they've earned to get there you know yeah it's, it's, like, you know, like it's funny how things go Back then, I wouldn't even watch boxing. I couldn't even tell you. When I was boxing, I couldn't even tell you who the champion was. I didn't care. I, I didn't want to watch it. I hated it. But I loved it. I'm sitting on it. I loved, I loved doing it. Really? I, watching. I wasn't feeling it. But now, because I'm retired, I'm a fan of boxing now. I love it. I love coaching it. I love training it. I love being around with it. You didn't really want to know about it when you were in it at all? No, look, it was like it was my job. Because I put everything into it. But like, out of the last few hours, I had to wait me. I wanted to forget about it. Yeah. Because it was so extreme. Really extreme. Bring her home to the house. And I was like, maybe she was saying, "Listen, take a day off, isn't it?" Yeah. It was just so mentally so, there was just another world. I was yeah. on the trail was boxing to say, "Yeah, I don't but outside it, I hate it. Hate it. I get the ring to the tickets, all the big fights, four sort of fights. I can't stand. Get them away. Boys, they don't even know this. We have all the boxing people. I'm in the middle. Yeah. I'm not boxing enough. 
you were able to keep you were able to keep them keep them apart your own life and, and, and yeah. boxing world as well. Well, that was, that was obviously different now. I'm coaching and I love being around because I know what it's done to me. It got me out of trouble. Well, let me go. So I know it's a good thing, person. And you have, but you, you also have the experience, Steve, as well, in fairness to you, now that you were able to do that, to be able to teach kids and teach fellas how to partition and how to separate the two worlds because there isn't always an... Some people can live it and they can balance it, but other people like you benefit from the fact that you just keep it separate, leave it where it is, leave it in the gym, and that's and that's what works for them. Exactly. Get in there, do you have to. Put everything into it in that way. Two hours of that, get out. Working with Alan Heary, you mentioned him there a few minutes ago, and I saw him on, I saw him on, the, on some footage that I was looking at as well. Was Is that something that you would have brought into it, or would Pascal have introduced it, or would have been something you both spoke yeah, about? Yeah, like... Kind of when starting out in the performance and we were we got into the use all that stuff, we kind of put it that way. But then I've got about it and then possibly coming me on early. So we just went through that way and we just I was always and I was always more to boxing. There's a fight I want to ask you about and it's up to yourself how you answer Terry Flanagan fight. Yeah, everyone exactly. everyone anticipated battle and a scrap and everyone got it and it was it was it was just even looking at it again last night, I'm getting chicken skin here thinking about it. But it was, it was one of those fights that had a little bit of everything, and underneath it, you could notice there was that little bit of a layer of. Do you yeah, mind that, telling that in your own what? To, it just like he kept holding me, holding me, holding me, and in your right mind, still where it was not fused my head because it was just but it pulled straight the hell out of me. And I could not get my left hand off him, and he was doing the doing the blade in the focus, and the referee should have stopped him on it. That's, that's what he should have done, but he didn't, never did. And I was, seeing, I was getting so annoyed with And it was his, the cat, he was walking with him then. So it did things happen. And I just said, ah, here. I lost my head, literally. Stupid. Yeah. Well, like, you left me, you know. No, you so didn't. I ended up going sparring after one of these fights. Most of the fights. And they were sparring in the ring. And the same thing happened in the ring. But no, but no way around three there. It was a little bit tricky what way to approach it, but anyone that had watched you throughout your career and watched you and in the build up to it, they knew that wasn't you, it wasn't your style. They knew and everyone in boxing would have known there was something went on. Not as you said, you're not making an excuse for it. It was just it happened on the night. Yeah, it was just one of those things that just got so frustrated what was happening on this. I knew it was a big voice, but it was just one of those things to learn from it because we you know, you know that's one thing you don't see someone's getting Hitting you and you want to get to hit the bison, you don't, you don't give them the smack of your head. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and tell <laughs> me, the immediate aftermath of that as a trainer now, and as what you're learning as a trainer, having worked beside Pascal and with Pascal for so long, and seeing, how does a trainer approach after that? Is there, is there just, there's, there's no need for them to say anything? Is it the opposite? What way does it begin after that? Because you, you're famous for rebuilding after, after when things don't go your way, and, and you did it so many times and did it so well. Where does it begin? Does it start straight away afterwards? Well, like, you know, they can't say anything before you know, before I know exactly what happened. You gotta let them go home and think you are let it go sell and then come back with the answers and say, Listen, I was wrong or Oh well, you gotta think of it because only the fire knows why why he's done that, why he behaved that way. You know, when it's you have to go home and think like, What 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 made me do that? And then you go back with the answers and say, Listen, it was my fault or I lost my head, I couldn't, I couldn't control myself. You know, it's someone that you have to learn from. You have to, and you know, nobody can tell you, only you. And the fight itself, Stephen, without, without concentrating too much on it, because it was so close, it was such a big fight, it was so close. Most were, were hard pressed to split you. I mean, it was it was gone, gone to the wire. Can you remember, what, again, without digging into too many bad memories, was it pure and utter frustration? Was it just rage? It was just, you knew what he was doing, and, and it was just. Knew, every time I touched him to the body and we left hook, I knew what I was getting to. 
I knew I was getting them and then he was nullifying the hole in my left hand and I was getting frustrated the referee when he's the referee would stop me yeah look at me him he's holding me I didn't like the fucking sort at all I think the ref thought he was a school teacher as well even Spartan like the same thing when he doesn't like the whole fucking side you know so which the referee was on his side of the time but it's just one of those things I'll do with him Look, in true Stephen Norman style, you bounced back. Um, you went four on the bounce, beating Marcus Jimenez then for your IBF title. That was a big one. He, that was a lovely he win. Was, that fellow was absolutely huge. He's the biggest I've ever seen. Shoulders wise, everything. He was huge. And he ended, and he, he ended up getting caught in the juice anyway. That's why he, he came back positive. He was not, was he? Yeah, he's full of juice. <laughs> we knew it. Because we, we did it. The, that was for the IBF, so it was £10 real. So like, uh, I just barely came in from the camp the next morning. The rehydration. Stay. He was still the same. Huge. Still not under weight. Didn't even need water. I don't know what was wrong. What's going on with this fella? He's just juiced up the eyeballs. And can you notice that you said you knew that? But when you're fighting a fella like that, is there? I know some fighters will say, "Yeah, you can see it a mile away." Johnny Nelson is famous for saying it that you know a mile away that by their strength and everything else. Is there anything noticeable about it that you can remember or? Well, there's a few fighters that I, I'm not going to give their names because I can't friends them, but I know the fact they were on juice. Like, even when I fought them. Just the pimples on their back were just... And then they're doing the sunbeds just to get caught trying to get rid of the pimples. Destroy it, and then... There's a good engine then as well. But I'm not going to say names because then I'll be like a sorry loser. And then they're, they're, t- and they're, taking, they're taking the strongest and the best of everything and they're walking through it yeah, and, and well, it's not I, normal. Yeah, you do, and sometimes you don't get tested either, you know. So now the hell works like Yeah. But uh, yeah, so just, just a couple of photos of of that was that now. So when you're getting into the ring with a with a wife and a child at home and a family at home and the same with everybody else, it's it's you may as well be getting in with a bloody shotgun. Yeah, one percent, especially boxing. You know, it's not football. No. It's smacking the head off someone, you know. Yeah, you're trying. You're trying to do the maximum damage, boxing, but it's a serious game. But at that stage, at that stage of the career, Stephen, the big fights were coming, taking fast. There were, there was like, there was no end to them. There were, and there were always entertaining fights, always up yeah. close, always tight. Um, you were matched, shot for shot, and all those big fights. And and a loss at that stage in a close fight is it still significant to you? Because I always, and and I don't know what it is. I admire, I do know what it was. It was like you were always getting this question at that stage of your career about age you get these pundits oh your age your age your age and your attitude always was I don't care about my age I don't even notice was that a was, does it oh, get that's le- pissed me off really deep down it pissed me off it was always the yours asking the same thing of yeah in America you never get even asked that it was just, just, just age thing age thing just always the same since I started my career I started off I think it was 25, 26 so I was always trying to catch up in time before I was pro fighting and catch up and then I wasn't getting enough fights in time so it was pissed me off so we just said, listen, I've got to set in my head, in my head fuck age. Exactly. <laughs> sure. And and it's not like the age, it's not like in the fights, even the ones th- th- where, where you didn't get the ruin and you were after going toe-to-toe in all of the big ones. It's not like you could sl- you could look at it and say, oh, he was slowing down or was his age. That was never a factor. So, no, uh, it, just, just the mentality of Irish people, that's, to be honest with you, some people, the same thing, or high age, just that mindset, stupid. But I'm still, I still pull people up on like this day about their own, like, I was talking to people about their own careers and all right, guys, you know, I'm my age, catch up with me. He says this and I said, don't listen to anybody. It's just, it's just yourself. Well, even else. even when I'm prepping to talk, and, and I'm coming at from I'm coming at this from a from a for, from being a fan, and and all the times you'd see the questions and you'd want to ask, 
what do the fans want to hear? They want to hear the lads thought before he goes out the door when they get to knock at the door an hour before. They're the things that I don't particularly and with all due respect care how a fella feels when he's that age or this age. You know, it makes no difference to me either. Yeah. And I don't think fight fans really care that much unless it becomes a factor of their fight where they know they've got to win the fight before a certain stage. Yeah. Taking the age aside, you were always honest enough to say that, look, the fights took so long to come around and for you to get the big fights that it was never going to be a factor on you not in not being ready or not being able for them. So, And they never really featured in your fights. So what I suppose the angle I wanted to look at it from and ask you now that it's all said and done was that... Um, a loss is a loss and it's tough for any fighter but some get over it better than others. In those close yes. ones, in those tight ones and in the big ones at that stage of your career, are they less significant because you're now on the stage and you know that you've been close enough? Yeah, well, the Paul Hoyle fight was definitely a robbery, I thought now. But uh, the other fight with Evans, the fourth fight he beat me then. I thought the second, I had, a, I had two fights with him. So I, thought, I thought the second fight I beat him was very close but, but other than that, like... Even now, I don't care about it. I just think it's a game of boxing. But yeah, it's back then, it was like the end of the world. We had to go over anyway. <laughs> but uh, this is one of those things you have to go over. I think I can speak, say that for most boxing, if not all boxing fans in Ireland. It was always the way you carried yourself and the team. There was no moping or kicking the ties out of the prime or anything else. It was, yeah. and no, that, it's, that's, it's, it's about the average fight when I live, how you carry yourself. Big time, that's boxing's all about. Like, I don't think I don't like feels, get all confident. Yeah, cocky. That's one thing I did. <laughs> I don't like. And I still don't like. I see a lot of fighters getting carried away with themselves. That cockiness makes me want to do a, make a comeback. <laughs> yeah, I just I tell you one thing. I, there's, there's a bit massive difference as well in confidence and cockiness, and it's a very fine line. And and some sometimes stumble across that line, but the rebuild in between each time, and that's I think what people don't see, isn't it? It's the camps and building the back up and getting the couple of fights under the belt again. Yeah, it's. You know yourself. It's that's it's it's out to grow and camps. The lot of my hair. It's hair with the family too. Like like my missus like just coming home all the time and then with me like and being away you know. And then 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 point and then getting robbed sometimes like actually what the hell like what's the point? But she always knew that I had to keep going. That was that was my own mentality. I wasn't gonna give up. You know. And I think that again at the end of, I remember the night you announced that you had the rematch with Evans and it. it it was it was there for you there on that night again, but it didn't happen. And um, I think there was a lot of people came up after the fight. And then, what what would your what from that fight itself? What's your thoughts on it being I your knew, last I one? Knew, I knew the the morning of the fight that I was going to retire when I lose because uh, I had a horrible time making way with that fight. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know six hot bats. I was hallucinating. I lost about sixteen pounds. In about 20 hours and then I lost another few pounds over the week and we, when I was walking to, I made, when I was going to the weigh-in so I say I was going I was in the city centre in Wales in Cardiff sorry and we were walking from say here 10 metres and I was like my heart was kicking through my chest so I was like a heart attack and then I got to the made away drank some water fluids I still couldn't come around so I went back to the hotel went to sleep I woke up about 8 o'clock in the evening and I was loose then I was like Cause me, me and the girl it's called Harley I was convinced I was babysitting minor. I was like, Hardy, where are you? I was looking at the beds and all. People like, I was walking up the corridors. Where's he going? Like, what's going on with this fella? I didn't even know where I was. Jesus. Oh, really? I started calling. I ended up coming around the next day, the next morning. The morning of the fight, I felt good then. So then I says, in my hands and hands, was it? I'm not even holy person. I says, if I come out of this fight, okay. He said, I'm recording. I said a prayer. So that's it, I'm done. So I knew it. And then, then when I didn't get the decision, I says, right, that's it, definitely. 
There you go. And there's the question. There's the one that I was going to, and, and that answers in a nutshell. I think it was so, and they were so adamant, and it was so immediate. That's what shocked most people because a lot of people afterwards said that you had done the fight was so close. It was, it was, it was. You, it wasn't by any means a landslide, but it was. There was a lot of people saying, "Would you even thinking and talking about out loud? Would you reconsider? Would you come back?" But you were adamant, and that's where it came from. That's it. Like people, like, even, and it wasn't a lot battered and saying, right, "It's time to give up." I know I still I was out the fight, and I still think I'm out the fight. Like, but I just, I just knew then that that's it. It's more to life than this. And I'm, do you know what? Pissing ever did because I'm having a better life now than I ever did. I'm round boxing. I'm eating what I want. I'm actually better, probably fitter now than I was. So I just, I done twelve rounds body sparring yesterday with a fella. And then I done a crossfit workout, so I know I'm always be fit. It comes to taking head headshots, and now I'm okay. I'm happy, you know. The family are all happy, so fit, healthy, happy. Ah, do you know what? When I think back to all those years as a fan, going to the fights, watching the fights, talking about the fights, wishing and hoping and dreaming, believing that every time the next one of those lads made that walk it would be for the biggest prize. Steve-O was, was one of those lads that as a fan you felt an affinity for. A genuine, honest, straight talker and a real crowd pleaser. And by Jesus was he tough as they come. On a personal note mate, that was a box ticked. But a uh, massive respect for Stephen Ormond and for all you've done and for all you continue to do. That's about it for me and them until then. Thanks for listening. Don't forget Big Polly tomorrow night, Wednesday night, as he steps out against Mickey Ellison. Stevie, Saturday night on Channel 5. And next week, I'll have Tony Brown on to chat about turning professional, about contracts, fights, and everything else that goes. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, smile. All's well that ends well.